pick them up and play with them, play with them. Go out and do some plein air work, which means mm. that when you work outside, you got very little time because the light changes, which means yeah. play with it until the light passes and that's when you're done. Play with it. Let the pencil take you somewhere. The Color Pencil Podcast is brought to you by UART Premium Sanded Paper. UART Sanded Paper is the only sanded paper on the market today to offer seven different grades to choose from. Designed for pastel, colored pencil, and charcoal artists who need a consistent surface that doesn't compromise or damage wet media. UART's sanded paper readily accepts wet media without compromising that surface. You can add layer upon layer with ease. Correct mistakes as needed and create exactly what you want thanks to this unique textured surface. You can add fixative between layers to keep on layering without affecting your work underneath. So give UART a try and experience the UART difference. And we thank UART Premium Santa Paper for their support of the Color Pencil Podcast. Hey guys, I'm also excited to announce the UART Spring 2021 competition is now open. So submit your color pencil or pastel piece with spring as the main theme for a chance to win some cool UART prizes. Now the competition is free to enter and it's open to all artists from around the world. Another cool thing about it is your piece can be done on any surface. It doesn't have to be done on UART. So sign up today before it's too late. The deadline is April 19th, 2021. There's going to be five lucky winners selected. They'll be announced on April 27th. Just go to the show notes for the link. And good luck to you. We also thank Amazon Music Unlimited for their support of the podcast. If you're looking for a new music streaming service, Amazon Music Unlimited will be perfect. It features 70 million songs and thousands of expert programmed playlists and stations, all available ad-free. Enjoy your 30-day free trial when you go to getamazonmusic.com sharp. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast. Weekly discussions in and around this medium that we love so much. Hey there, welcome back to the show. My name is John Middick of sharpenedartist.com. This is the Sharpened Artist Color Pencil Podcast. I am so excited to welcome to the show today Bernard Poulin. Bernard, welcome. Uh, I would try to give you an introduction, but I don't even know where to start. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it, it would be difficult to narrow things down. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time and willingness to be on the show. I, you know, you've been in the medium for so long. You've written a book on colored pencil. It was one of the first books that I ever had and read on colored pencil. Um, and it's one of the things that has influenced me personally with regard to portraits and trying to find something that, that tells a story and is more just not this say cheese kind of portrait. So I do want to talk about that. But before we do any of that, I want to talk about origins. Everyone wants to know what the backstory is. So what is your origin coming to colored pencil? Just Talk us through a little bit of what you've been doing over the past uh, couple, few decades. My first colored pencils, oddly, were not colored pencils. They were Crayolas. Okay. In 1949, I was four, and my mother kept all of my <laughs> drawings from the age of four to the age of 11. 
and then handed them to me in my 30s. So um, I used Crayolas and graphite a lot when I was a kid, never happy with what I did, and eventually ended up with colored pencils in my pre-adolescence and never left them. Mm. That's about Mm -hmm. as simple as that. So childhood was just filled with drawing, and when not drawing, walking and observing everything around me to find out what I would want to draw, which was almost Mm. everything Mm. (laughs) in sight. Very simple beginning. Mm -hmm. My mother reminded me that I had been doing it all all along, and I had forgotten about all that. Oh, that's interesting. She handed me, what, uh, close to 30 or 40 drawings that I had done throughout those years. Oh, wow. so it was kind of cool. fun to see the evolution between a frustrated four-year-old who said he did a lousy drawing and she kept it to the point of 11 years old where I said, oh, geez, maybe I know something here. It was nice. So you've always been interested in art and creating art. Um, so let's, let's go into uh, teen and uh, 20s. Uh, what, so what did, you, what did you do? I always wanted to do portraiture, uh, which means I uh-huh. wanted to know about anatomy because your head isn't the only part of your body that Mm -hmm. I would be drawing and painting, so I wanted to learn more. When you're 11 years old and want an anatomy class, not exactly acceptable (laughs) as far as parents are concerned at that age, though it would have been very much normal in the 14th, 15th century. It certainly was not in the beginning of the 20th. So um, I ended up with my first and only drawing class, drawing and painting class at 11, and I mm. quickly got kicked out. So that was my history as well, far as academics in the art world. Um, I got frustrated because in the painting class, the teacher walked over and would constantly correct my painting, oh, grab wow. my brush, correct the painting, walk <laughs> away and go and correct somebody else's. And I finally got frustrated. Well, I'm I sure quickly a lot got of people frustrated. Did. And um, I was grabbed by the ear because I told her, stop doing this and show oh, wow. me how to tell me how to do it. Yeah. You know, explain what I'm doing wrong. And uh, she didn't take that very well and took me to the director of the school at that time, uh, who was a painter himself, a quite well-known painter in southern Ontario. And he sent her away after she dropped me off in his office and told him what for, and he looked at my work and silently just stared at it and then turned around and told me to go home and paint that one day I oh, would wow. be a painter. Was that encouraging when that happened uh, from him, it. from his side? Yeah, yeah, he was uh, uh-huh. one of the many mentors that I had over the years, um, whether good or bad. Um, I, I enjoyed for one reason or another, I don't know why, uh, the concept mm. of being mentored, uh, being advised as to what was or what should be done. And uh, sometimes I was given bad information, but even then I learned something. So mentoring is an, an important part mm-hmm. of our lives, even now, uh, my wife's and I. So uh, this man put me on my path. In other words, get the heck to work and uh, learn as much as you can. And possibly you'll get somewhere. And uh, I did. You know, and when I was 16, well, I passed the drawing from uh, uh, Playboy magazines and then moved on to other things and uh, eventually went 
took myself to Italy and studied the masters. But at first, my father, my father's reaction when I was nine and said that I wanted to be a portrait painter at the dinner table one night, he was the only one who really reacted strongly. My mother smiled because um, she was somewhat of a painter herself. She oh. could have been good. My father just said, oh, good. My eldest son wants to starve for a living. Wow. How so demoralizing that was, he was that? a mechanic. Okay. And, uh, yeah, he was a very wise, quiet yeah. man, um, never raised his voice, but when he said something, okay. it had impact. And um, I learned that what I wanted to become was basically a laborer. I wanted to do my mm -hmm. job well, and I wanted to be skilled. Um, so I would shut myself away, whether it was in a pile of sh you know, sumac trees in, in the field mm -hmm. behind the house to draw and paint and be quiet and away from everybody just to learn yeah. my skills. Um, so he, and I learned eventually as an adult that basically my father and I are, are very much oh, the same. Um, the only difference is the oil on our hands. He was a mechanic and I was a painter. So it didn't, there's, to me, there's nothing more than that in the, in the arts. Um, and some of us uh, uh, discover the greats, the masters who become somewhat extraordinary. And we just continue looking up to them until uh, we reach the end of our rope. <laughs> it's, um, I just love what I do, and I do it every day. And uh, whether it's with words in yeah. writing or with oil or colored pencils, uh, it's all self-expression. And hopefully what I have to say is valuable to someone. I love that. Did you have – so how many siblings uh, did you have? Well <laughs> – a frustration, not because they were my siblings, but because I needed mm -hmm. quiet and alone time. And we were eight. And then my parents adopted the foster child next door because she spent more time at our house than she did in oh, her wow. foster home. So we took her in and she became oh, our gotcha. ninth. And I had a three foot by six foot top mm -hmm. bunk bed where I could draw. But when you're copying uh, Greek and mm -hmm. Roman sculptures, uh, nudes, naturally, at 11 years old, you've got brothers and sisters below you who are going to spend their time giggling about me painting na naked bodies. So I... Were none of them artists? Uh, you were the only one? No. Or? Well, artists in different ways, I imagine. Okay. Uh, okay. I don't know. I, sure. I, I kind of stay away from the title. <laughs> okay. Uh, um no, uh, a lot of them, well, we were very musically oriented in the family. That okay. was the main artistic uh, expression in the house. Mm -hmm. My mother was a singer. And, um, so she was, but an artist. everyone was, yeah. Mm -hmm. so. yeah. I said, so she was so. an artist. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. And, uh, she did some drawing and painting. And when I look at mm -hmm. what I eventually inherited from what was left in the home, mm -hmm. she could have been very, very good. Mm. Very nice. But yeah. She had eight kids to worry about. She was, she was a little busy. <laughs> yeah, quite busy. And then I went off to mother, boarding too. school. Yeah. I went off to boarding school at 12 and 13. Mm. And uh, that was um, a choice made because of our language. We wanted a French school. And there were okay. no French schools in Windsor at that time. 
And being uh, a Francophone, a French person, uh, I wanted to study my French too, so I accepted to go off to boarding school, and Dad took on a second job to pay for that. Mm. So um, it wasn't that expensive in those days, but it was still a lot of money mm. as far as he was concerned. Mm. And um, But I was happy there because I was handed uh, a studio. I got the art studio at the school. And uh, even the guys who were at that school at that time still remember it as I was basically the resident artist in the house. Oh, wow. Because I would spend most of my time there. Yeah. Wasn't great at academics. How I ever became a teacher is beyond me. But <laughs> So you had a lot of alone time then in the studio? Yes. Um, even though I went from a bedroom with uh, four brothers in it. Yeah. Uh, I ended up uh, with a... Um, a dormitory of 140 boys in it. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't exactly alone time, but I got discipline, structure, organized organization so that I was able mm -hmm. to discipline myself into becoming a much better uh, painter and drawer be simply mm -hmm. because I was being, being disciplined in that school. And it was perfect. I loved it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. So structure was, for me, the, the biggest thing and uh learning the skills right and right. there i had the time and place and nobody giggling at my nudes <laughs> as horrible as they must have been in those days <laughs> yeah well i went directly from boarding school i had to go back because uh, dad uh lost the house and lost everything they they went uh, bankrupt because oh, he no. lost his job because he was speaking french at work and that was uh, verboten you couldn't do that in those oh. days Oh, really? So he, uh, being a stubborn man, did uh, two other francophone sp French speakers, and uh, he was basically not fired, but laid off to a point where there was nothing left, and um, they had to move to Montreal, where he found a job there. Mm. And that was fine and dandy for them, but I didn't want to leave Ontario. So, And I had been away from to boarding school for two years. And after the two years, I came back to a house that wasn't the house I grew up in. They had lost everything. So um, I decided I was going to go off on my own. I was 16. Finished, uh, I finished my grade 12 and left home on the day that they moved to Montreal. So the truck and the car left, and I wasn't there. So I oh, went wow. off on my own. Next morning, I got up off the floor where I slept and I gave the key back to the neighbor and grabbed my bag that was left in the house and left uh, for Ottawa, the town where I had been boarding school. Is got that about job. all that you took with you? Um, you didn't have much? That's that basically all I had left with me, yeah. yeah. And uh, I went off and got myself a job. And mm -hmm. um, the man who hired me in a clothing shop um, fired me about a year later even though I was doing a good job because he said I should go back to school. Mm. And uh, he became uh, one of my greatest mentors uh, mm. until he passed away at 98. He was the grandfather to our children. Uh, he, was, uh, oh, wow. he was a family member. He was at our, all the weddings in our family. So oh, he was wow. a great guy. Yeah. Uh, no, being motivated for me was very important. And uh, he did. My wife and he adored my wife, so that, when I got married, he finally said, yeah, you're, you're making it, kid. That was uh, Milton, my first boss. But Dad was very encouraging. Uh, I don't think I could have done any business. Uh, and as a painter, as a drawer, I wanted to make my living. 
Yeah. And make my living means you have to be able to do the job and do the business side of it and pay the bills and pay your taxes. Right. And uh, so this is what I wanted to do. And dad was very good at that. He, ah. when he, he told me when I was young that I could probably draw and paint much better if I had a full stomach. So would I please get myself a job in another <laughs> field, um, which would feed me and give me free time at the end of the day to hone my skills and become as good as I, I want to be. Mm -hmm. And I did. I followed mm -hmm. through, and um, thankfully, he didn't pass away until he had seen me successful in, in three professions, actually. Well, that's nice. So, what are those yeah. three? Well, I became, uh, after I was fired from my mentor, Milton, um, I went to teacher's college. Uh -huh. And uh, after grade 12 in those days, you could go to teacher's college for a year, and you'd be given permission to teach in elementary school. Okay. So I didn't have any other training, so I went there, became a teacher, um, and from there uh, I went into, uh, well, I became a specialist in special education. Um, I did all kinds of crazy things, as you know in, in my book, uh, in, in, in the bio you learn, mm -hmm. but um, I tried everything under the sun, and it was great. Everything I did seemed to pan off. I started two schools. For emotionally disturbed children, we're French speaking, mm -hmm. and then uh, I eventually went off and did some radio, uh, mm -hmm. where I met my wife, and she wouldn't go out with me, so I quit, and eventually married her eleven months later. So. She wouldn't go out with you because you're a coworker, or <laughs> uh, yeah, well, actually, she was my boss. Oh, I got you. <laughs> so she figured she shouldn't be doing that. It wasn't ethical to go out with somebody, right. and the team wouldn't exactly see me as an equal then. So what else is left? You got to quit then, right? <laughs> well, exactly. So I quit, and then that shocked her, but 11 months later, we were married. Yeah. Yeah, so you've, I mean, you've done TV, you've done uh, radio, um, you've uh, authored books, you've, uh, you've been published in books, uh, you've done uh, some... Great commissions through uh, in private collections uh, for like some pretty high profile people. It seems like um, mm -hmm. what can you can you give me like the highlight reel of some of uh, maybe the commissions that you've done? Well, there are two categories of commissions, I guess. Uh, okay. There's a private, and that's family stuff and kids and uh, dogs and pets yeah. and uh, even portraits of houses, and, um, but mainly I painted a lot of children, like hundreds of children over the years. Um, spent 43 years in, uh, flying in and out of Bermuda doing portraits mm -hmm. there, mm -hmm. and in the States, and in Canada. Uh, and then there's the um, official portraits, and that's when you're commissioned by an organization, an institution, a government to do portraits. Yeah. And um, it just struck that uh, seemingly the portraits of the drawings that I was doing in the paintings, especially the colored pencil was the first. That's when it first started out. And for years I did oh. only colored pencil and portraits. But, um, and even some of the official portraits were done in colored pencil, including the one commissioned by the Queen uh, of England. Oh, wow. So, uh, she, so I have a colored pencil portrait in the uh, Windsor Castle Oh, uh, nice. Collection. Very yeah. cool. 
that that is so exciting. And then prime ministers of different countries, and um, oh, head, head, heads of senates, and uh, comma, you know, all kinds of commissions from different organizations, uh, science, uh, medicine, uh, academic, universities, giving portraits. But portraits are, official portraits at least, are disappearing in, you know, increasingly. Uh, yeah, increasingly, why, why? we are decreasing. Okay, why, why is that? Everything is run uh, based on accounting now, and uh, that means if, uh, if a, a painting costs $30,000 to get yeah. done as a, as a 40 by 48 inch portrait, yeah. you can get a photograph for 40 bucks. Yeah. You know, and that's basically the attitude is that it's just, the arts are suffering in that, in that area, so um, I hope it continues. I know with families, it still continues. I still give commissions for children, and mm. um, but uh, do you think it's just looked at as like okay, this is a different era that uh, people wanted? That's partly so, done. and it's also partly excess. As I said, you know, everything uh, every, everyone used to hate lawyers because they, they were dominating or controlling everything. Now it's mm -hmm. accountants and mm -hmm. accounting which who are uh, controlling everything. Whether that's good or bad isn't the point anymore. It's That's the way things are. Um, institutions find it uh, difficult to maintain themselves financially, mm -hmm. so they mm -hmm. cut back. And sadly, what it also says is that we're cutting back on the arts. Mm -hmm. um, but well, there's there's can't... less wall space too in uh you know, like in private homes there's less wall space. Oh yes, in private homes, open let's... concept thing, you know. Yeah, the the portraits are smaller in uh, in private homes than they used to be, uh, but in the institutions in in universities you yeah. still got the large wall, the high ceilings. Right. So uh, sure, you know, a forty by sixty inch uh, painting is is not a problem. Yeah, but it's still expensive. Yeah, and, I just um, prefer a photograph, I guess. Yeah. I continue to do them anyway. I just do them for myself, and eventually somebody buys them. Ah, <laughs> uh, gotcha. So is that is that difficult, though, to uh, – like if you draw someone, an individual, mm -hmm. um, who is this buyer that comes along and says, hey, I like that portrait of this person I don't know? Yeah, they are kind of a rare buyer. Um, okay. They are really collectors, and not so much in the yeah. sense that they buy a lot of them, but that they buy yeah. a specific category of artwork. Um, and a portrait is very special. You have to be yeah. a different collector than someone who buys landscapes, still lifes, or seascapes. Uh, yeah. You're more interested in personalities and uh, fascinated mm -hmm. by people's emotions and feelings. And mm -hmm. it's a little bit like, why is Mona Lisa the most famous painting in the world? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, why do millions uh, get fascinated with her? Yeah. And even those who are not necessarily uh, portrait people. But yeah. I don't know. It's, it's the mystery of it, I think. There's an enigma yeah. with a uh, face. I painted the portrait of a whole family of kids. And one kid in particular in that family, um, I saw him about a week later, and I called the parents and said, I want to use him as a model for now. Because I saw him all dressed in white, mm. which was mysterious for a teenager to be dressed in white. <laughs> yeah, right. And um, I called him into the studio and produced a painting uh, called Michelle in White. And uh, 
the, the parents had all portraits of all the kids in the family, so they weren't going to add an extra Michelle in the house uh, gotcha. uh, where the others yeah. weren't uh, extra. So uh, sure. it was a painting I did for myself. And about two or three years later, um, a couple came into my studio and just fell in love with it and took it home. Oh, wow. That's they so said cool. it was, it seemed to be a combination of both of their sons. Ah. Oh. So. Oh, that's fascinating. That was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I can imagine that there's uh there's some that are there's some that are going to be um collecting because because it's you, uh, because you're the painter and you're yeah. the you're the, the artist, so they're yeah. wanting to collect because of that. I'm I'm sure. Yeah. Uh so I threw um a post out here inside Monthly Sharpener and I asked if there were some questions um, that I should ask you. And one of the questions, I think this is an interesting thing that uh, Somia asked about. She said that, need my glasses on. I try to look young if I don't wear my glasses. I think that <laughs> will convince people. <laughs> but uh, she says, he says a portrait must convey a meaning of intimacy and it should transcend the ordinary and be a presence. And she says, how would he do this? And what should be done to a portrait to, you know, make it, I, th I think what she's meaning is to make it transcendent. Well, first of all, uh, a portrait cannot be done alone. You always have a subject or you always have a, a model. Oh, right. Uh, okay. If you're doing a, a portrait of someone, yeah. but not necessarily a commissioned portrait. Okay. And that subject. Uh, when it is a subject, for example, it's, uh, that usually is because the, there's a person commissioning that portrait. It right. usually is a child, a husband, a brother, a wife, whatever. And basically what your job is to find out who they are and not what they look like necessarily because what they look like should be in your capacity to reproduce because you've got the skills to do the job. That's all skill. Getting a likeness is just putting the right shape in the right place at the right, you know, in, in the right mm -hmm. form. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of a sudden the face looks like the person that you're looking at. But is there life in that likeness? Mm -hmm. You can't only create a portrait to get likeness. A photograph can do that. Mm -hmm. But if you want more, even in photography, you have to, have to go for the art of it. You have to find out who that person is and what you're trying to convey about that person. So I like to learn a lot about the person as much as I can before I start just sketching away. I want to know what their body language is, how they stand, how they walk, oh, how yeah. they sit, how they talk, um, the expressions they have in their face when they mm. do speak. Mm -hmm. uh, are they very expressive or are they not? And if they're not, that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have emotional depth. What it means is that they're a much more deeply introverted person and the mystery of that introversion should be shown in the painting. That's how the head is held, how the eyes mm. look at you or don't right. look at you. Uh, the mouth slightly open or the mouth closed. or These are all uh, small details that really mm -hmm. add to uh, the creation of a real portrait. And a real portrait for it to be transcendent or to be intimate has yeah. to communicate, has to reach out. Because to me, that, that's where what we create is artwork. Mm -hmm. We create a drawing or a painting, a thing, an object. We make yeah. it. 
Right. We produce it. We construct right. it. We compose it. And that thing at the end is a solid object. I can pick it up in my hands and put it on a shelf or on a wall or yeah, put it on a, in a gallery wall. It can be sold or it can be bought. Yeah. Right. It's an object. Art cannot be bought because that's the difference between artwork and art. Because art is not an object. It's not a thing. It's, mm. not, a, it's not a commodity. Mm -hmm. It's an enigma. It's a mm. mystery. It's what resides in artwork and what emerges from artwork if it wants to. Mm -hmm. And I'll continue on that point a little bit later. But yeah. when art wants to emerge, what it wants to do is to reach out and move people. And if it does that, there's the intimacy born between the viewer and the artwork and the, the image in that artwork. There's a relationship there, right? Oh, once, absolutely. Once it, and the relationship between, is there. Yeah, uh -huh. the, me, well, between me and, and, and the, the artwork, there yeah. is a relationship. I'm creating ah, it. Right. But once it's done, it's time for me, the so-called mm -hmm. artist, to take two steps back mm -hmm. and speak no more. Otherwise, I'm becoming an overbearing parent. Mm. I'm domineering. I'm dominating my painting. I'm not letting it speak on its own. Mm. So if I take my two steps back and I trust that I did okay, then possibly, hopefully, if there is art within that artwork, it will emerge and speak with the viewer because the relationship is now theirs. That's where the intimacy comes in. It's not between me and the viewer. Mm -hmm. Or the viewer and the painting and me, I'm I'm finished with the job. I'm probably more interested in the next painting I want to do. Right, right. Yeah. So definitely. now it's between that artwork sitting on a wall somewhere, yeah. and someone becomes mesmerized by looking at it. And if they become mesmerized, then it's not the artwork. It's not just the skill sets that's coming out. It's the painting itself that is allowing art to emerge. That mystery that is art to emerge from it and to reach out to people. And that can be a painting that is like La Guernica, Picasso's painting of horror. And right. it reaches out and touches people. It's yeah. not pleasing, you know, it's not just a pleasant feeling. It's disturbing. It's whatever yeah. that painting is trying to convey. Yeah, yeah. And that's so when it transcends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how, how what, so what advice would you give to the portrait artist? that is trying to grab that and not just create another photorealistic drawing yeah. in colored pencil. Yeah, well, we have both a gift and a curse in the 21st <laughs> century, 20th and 21st century. And yeah. from the time that photographs, uh, photos were created, yeah. we've been using them as reference, but not really as reference. We've used them as the realism that we want to acquire because we say that we are a good artist if we can actually copy really well. Yeah. And that is the curse. Uh, but photos are really good reference. The, the Impressionists mm -hmm. use them. Mm -hmm. And since the Impressionists, we've had them as reference. And that is wonderful to find out how long the upper arm is in comparison to the uh, lower arm and oh, the right. length of the hand. It's a, there's a lot of reference that we can work with and study. Right, right. But what we have to do is to make use of whatever that photo gives us in order to create something that is above and beyond the basic reference material. So that 
causes us a problem in that people want to reproduce everything and look, see, I can paint glass well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's a wonderful study of glass, and that's perfect if you can do it. But you've but got the to meaning? find out what does the glass say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what does it contain? What is it communicating right. to me? Where's the story behind the artwork? Mm. And if I, I ever can finish that book, that's one of them that I'm writing now, is that tell me a story. Mm. Say something to me. Communicate. Yeah. And, and when I'm saying me, I mean the viewer. Yeah. Because without the viewer, artwork is just art therapy. I'm just painting it for me. Mm, and my yeah, needs. Yeah. And that's wonderful because art therapy has helped enormous amounts of people. Right. But when I'm creating an artwork that I want to be able to put out there for the eyes of other people, that's not art therapy anymore. It's not about me. It's about what that painting, that drawing, it's about the story that it can tell, that it can lure someone in there and mesmerize them with whatever it wants to say. That is, uh, I guess, part of the enigma i mean this is part of yes. the the whole mystery that 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 happens um it, it seems like that there is there's this ramping up period though of skill obviously you're you're going oh, yeah. to try to you know figure out you know the mathematics of creating a portrait or yes. you know um a study uh countless studies right but then um trying to get over that hump of you know, being accurate, let's say, quote unquote, mm. and then getting to that other side of saying, okay, this is, this is what I'm trying to say. This is what I'm wanting to convey. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I wonder, I guess the more that I, I look around at color pencil work within the, you know, past few years at, mm. at least, um, do you, do you feel like that we've, we push the medium in this direction of more representational and photorealism more than maybe we should have, or what, I guess what I'm trying to ask is what is the challenge for color pencil today well, and the color pencil artist? One of the challenges is to go beyond uh, the skill set acquisitions. Um, but we don't have art schools anymore as they were in the past. You don't have apprenticeships anymore. Uh, you don't go into a professional studio and work for them to become eventually a bona fide artist. Um, today, everyone is an artist because they pick up a pencil or they pick up a brush and they paint or they draw or a chisel and they sculpt. Uh, does that mean we are all artists? No, it means that we desperately need as human beings to self-express. And that's wonderful because what it does is it, it opens the door to the legitimacy of mm -hmm. artwork creation as mm -hmm. a form of self-fulfillment and success in a life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Winston Churchill painted all of his adult life and never became an artist. Mm. But he survived the Second World War and running basically England during that time right. by painting and calming himself down, bringing himself mm. down to a level where he's absolutely capable of making decisions that no one else could make at that time. So it was, it was an art therapy for him, and thank God for that. Yeah. So this shift, and, and I, I see that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. But this shift in instruction uh, with art schools, I mean, what, 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 are your, what are your thoughts on the Atelier schools 
Well, the Atelier schools are bringing back the concept of what was absolute realism in, in that time. Yeah. And, and yet, who are studying there are becoming realist painters and, and, uh, and sketchers, and, and that's fine, yeah. but that is one strict genre in and of itself, and people are, are enticed towards it because we like realism. We like things to look real, and that's when we are able to copy when we are in an atelier. But mm -hmm. to go farther than that, you have to go almost further into the skill set acquisition. For example, if you're learning how to draw, learn how to draw, learn all the skills you can. That's fantastic. Study for right. 10, 15 years. That's not unusual. Right. Um, but you have to go beyond that. And to go beyond that, you have to make sure that the subject matter that you are looking at, uh, taking into account when you are doing the work, has something to say to you that you want to say to people out there. It mm -hmm. can't just be a blade of grass because it's a blade of grass. And it has it's a got to be the movement. Shadow. It's got to be the shape of it, the, the, mm. yeah. you know, the, the mood that it creates, the lighting yeah. that strikes it. You have to play with the, the drama, mm -hmm. how, however dramatic you want something to be. You have to play with that, play with lights. And it's actually, it, it's uh, ironic, but even with computers, you can turn around and take your sketches and your photographs and everything else and play with them on the computer to create the mood that you want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and say, oh, that's what I want. This is the mood. This is the lighting scheme that right, I need because right. we don't have all those skill sets. And right. we are not studying color like they used to in the old art schools. So we don't have the skill set, the base, the foundation, in order to play with color the way they were playing with color in the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th yeah. century. So and we're relying on We're not on all these. Van Gogh. Right. Uh, Van Gogh. Uh, We're relying I'm sorry, on but the these man was a mesmerizing miracle worker in color. Yeah. But we don't all have that. But we do have computers that can help us learn yeah. about how how incredibly powerful we can turn color, or how so subdued we can make it to make it less dramatic. Then ah. we have to play with lines and shapes and and yeah. whatever is vertical. What does vertical mean? In a yeah. portrait, what does horizontal mean? What does a, a diagonal mean? All the lines and the shapes and the movements we have to think about rather than just applying color. And mm -hmm. color pencil, that is possibly the sin of it next to the, the greatness of it is that we spend a lot of time doing workshops on how to apply the color, how to get a specific texture. Mm -hmm. What we need is more mood, you know, maybe three colors instead of 45. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. a little bit like, it reminds me often of my box of Crayolas when I was four. Right. I actually believe my mother's story when she said, this is for your birthday. You know, they came out with a brand new box. Yeah. And there was 49 colors. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. And at four years old, you believe that they actually did this for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but and I love my Crayolas, but with the colored pencils, it's the same thing. We have to be able to have less to create more. Less of the colored pencils, and more of what each one that we main, that we hold in our hand can do, mm. rather mm -hmm. than try and create them through numbers and numbers and numbers of, of colored pencils. Mm -hmm. Then we can that way we can buy the best colored pencils that are light fast, and never mind about all the other colors. Because they're, they're mm -hmm. just ice cream on the cake, and sometimes we eat much ice cream.
<laughs> but realistically, what we have to do is go beyond the realism. And even if we stick with realism, we have to go uh -huh. beyond it and create a mood. We have to also, if we're talking about portraiture again, because you mentioned a lot of people who are on your podcast are portrait oriented, mm -hmm. you have to choose your subject well. Mm -hmm. And that means observation. Uh, my wife calls me a professional observer. I spend more time standing still, looking mm -hmm. like a zombie, staring mm -hmm. out out there because there's something that fascinates me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and when I observe people, I often try and figure out what story can I tell with that type of personality. Mm. So it's not just what the person looks like, but what yeah. does that person convey when they act? And I've often found that children are a lot more comfortable uh, with being who they are. Mm. Mm -hmm. And uh, But it's harder to work with children today because you can't just walk up to a child and say, okay, I'm going to draw a picture of you uh, without having your head knocked over uh, by <laughs> daddy or mom. So, but you're right. They are comfortable in their own skin, it seems like. Oh, and they're they not are. as pretentious. And, <laughs> no. And as long as I build a relationship with them to, with that in mind, yeah. I want you to be you. Don't try yeah. to be me. You know, don't, don't, yeah. And don't try to be what I want you to be. Yeah. And if you do that, then they are who they are. I've had, but they're rare. I've had, oh, I would say maybe three to five kids that I worked with over the years uh, that I did 30, 40 drawings. Most of yeah. them were drawings. Um, they were absolutely amazing. And one of the hardest things uh, to do, and you, and you can judge the capacity of a kid to do this, or even an adult for that matter, because I don't think adults do it very well, and mm -hmm. that is sleep. If you mm. want to do a drawing, I, I'm, I love paintings and drawings of the calmness of sleep. Mm -hmm. And I've asked some of my uh, best models to, okay, we're going to do a sleep scene. You know, you're going to do it. And I had one who was about 11 or 12 years old then. He placed the covers and he was working drastically to get the bed to look like he had been sleeping for a time. <laughs> and then when he lay down and his arm just let go and his whole body just relaxed. I couldn't believe it. I had the best model in the world. It wasn't exactly a tough job for him to, to be my model at that point because yeah. I was doing all the work. But it was amazing that he represented sleep in actually in its full reality. Yeah. But it's, wow. not the yeah. Real, it's not the realism that stood out. It was the mood that he had created just mm. by being that great model there. It was up mm -hmm. to me to make mm -hmm. sure that I conveyed that. But it's fine a model who can work for you. Sometimes it's a perfect smile. Sometimes it's just a child who doesn't smile. Sometimes it's a, mm -hmm. an adult who has that, that elongated shape or that rounded mm -hmm. shape. It's whatever you want to be able to convey yeah. and what story you want to tell with that particular model. So oh, it's very that. important to find the right subject that you can work with above yeah, and beyond you, uh, the skill sets. Oh, I love that. You, uh, you mentioned something, uh, and I wanted to uh, go back to it for just a second. Um, mm -hmm where you're talking about how that um, so often our classes, workshops, uh, fill in the blank, is all centered around instruction of how to, you know, technique, how to mm. do textures and whatnot. And do, do you see that as um, 
peculiar to this medium uh, no. more than other? Okay, it's in every medium, no. you think? In every medium. Okay. It's today, the schools that we have are workshops. Yeah. We have very, very few uh, art schools that can be filled with people who have, you know, time to go in and take a class in, uh, in drawing and painting yeah. uh, on the weekends or in right, the evenings. Right. Uh, art schools aren't run that way. Though, right. let's face it, with uh, COVID, uh, we yeah. may have a, a different setup after mm -hmm. COVID. Mm -hmm. But um, workshops are, are the schools in the art world today. Yeah. Yeah. And um, sometimes they, they stick to what people want uh, because people <clears throat> often convey that they are amateurs and that they're wanting to learn this and learn that and learn this and absolutely want to know how to do yeah. glass or metal well. Right, right. All the different textures. Well, and it also seems like there's probably going to be more offered online than what there used to be in the past. I know when I'm looking for yeah. guests, I go to their websites now and uh, they weren't, you know, I may have gone to their website a couple of years ago. I go back and all of a sudden this artist is offering an online workshop and, um, you know, they weren't in the past. And I, I think that probably 2020 had something to do with that, you know, the pandemic, but. No, agreed. But uh, online services are, again, like everything to me has a pro and a con to it. Yeah, um, and uh, online services are—you can find the best in the world on there if you take the time mm -hmm. to look for it, and yeah. you can also find the worst. And the worst mm -hmm. is probably ninety-five percent online. Right, uh, right. Five percent online is absolute genius. Mm -hmm. There seems to be no middle ground, um, and everyone has become a teacher. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and when everyone is a teacher, or when everyone is an artist, then no one is really. Then no one is. And yeah. when everything is art, no, nothing is art. Right, so, right. but finding that, like you were saying, you, you go out and you find this thing. And this is exactly what you have to do. Mm -hmm. I don't have much time to do it, but on my website, I have my link in, and my link page is mm -hmm. just about that. I try and find sites of mm. teaching painters and sketchers and drawers who are really exceptional. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if I, I could do that full time. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, just looking for those who really convey what we need to know to create not just artwork, mm -hmm. but a space in which art wants to reside ah, and wishes to reach out. Uh -huh. But uh, there, not everybody's a good teacher. Not everybody teaches right. well, and it takes a long, much longer time to unlearn something bad than it does to learn something good. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, unlearning is a horrible thing that we have to, you know, do when we accept to be taught by someone who doesn't teach well. And there's lots of that because online mm -hmm. is, is, is an open page. It's everybody right. has an equal chance to present their wares. And whether that's good, but there's no, um, there's no measure to it. Mm -hmm. So no, I think not. it's up to people like you and I to go out and say, hey, Let's put that guy, let's heighten their position. Half of the time I see a website, I just take the website address, put it on my link page so that, hey, go and take a look uh, with this guy. This guy teaches beautiful watercolor, beautiful uh, oils, uh, colored pencil, anyone and everyone. I would love to, okay, we're going to, we will definitely have uh, that site, that link uh, in the show notes, guys. So go over and check it out. Uh, a, a, 
A curated list from Bernard uh, means a, <laughs> a big. That's a that means a lot to me. So I, I want to. I definitely want to check that out. I just want Thank everybody to have that. the best. Yeah, that's awesome. Everybody but there's no curators out here, and if you're curating things like that, I I love that a lot. So very very cool. That that's a valuable thing that you're doing there. I wish you could work on it full time. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> Among uh, my 45,000 other things to do. Yeah. <laughs> Just add that one in there. Uh, uh, so let's see here. Um, I've got some questions for you that yeah. um, I want to make sure we don't run out of time. So let me ask some of these. So question from Maria, and she's asking um, what Bernard has in mind when he creates his art. I feel like we kind of touched on that a little bit, but uh, she said, I truly loved Mrs. O'Connor uh, mm. to jump or not to jump. And she says, and my favorite is my favorite, not just because of the story behind it is mirror, mirror. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, mirror, mirror was done when uh, my daughter was on the verge of becoming a teenager. And that's a big deal in uh, both boy and girl world. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, it's, it's where you also begin to question not just who you are, but what you are, you know, this femaleness, mm -hmm. this maleness, this whatever mm -hmm. it is. And you don't necessarily know what's going on physically either and emotionally. And uh, you're, you're going into a totally different realm. And the mirror is a little bit like that door into that unknown future which reflects back on you and says, this is who you are, but you don't really know because the face on that girl in that drawing um, just doesn't know. She's mm -hmm. in a perplexed mode. And that to me was what I wanted to show, my daughter going through that, like every other daughter in the world. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, I like moods. I like, I'm a mood painter. I, mm -hmm. I, I like to create a story. Um, the thinking of the person in the art piece and not just the, my thinking. Yeah. I want that, the subject to convey the message, not me. Do you have a preference in uh, like mediums? I mean, you work in so many, I mean, do you, do you prefer colored pencil over oils or, or anything else? Or is there, or does that just depend? I like drawing period, okay. whether it's graphite or colored pencil. I've okay. always done my first two years, uh, full-time professional. All I did was graphite. Um, and then I went back to my colored pencils because p some people wanted colors uh, and, but I loved colored pencils. My only fear in those days was that there was so little light fastness with some of uh, the colors. Yeah. Right. Um, and then I, I love oil I, and my oils are alkyds, So they dry faster. Um, there's, <sighs> I love watercolor, but I don't get much time to do it. Mm -hmm. I love plein air painting, but I love studio paintings. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't have any preferences. I just love it all. Yeah. And uh, what? That, that makes sense. I mean, did, did you, I mean, do you do pastels? I mean, what, I, I guess I'm wondering, like, back in the day when uh, there were light fast, more light fast issues with colored pencil, mm -hmm. why not? you know, jump from uh, graphite in drawing and then to pastel. I, I don't know. I'm just well, I tried pastel and I'm lousy at it. Oh, so I quit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that ended that my career as a pastelist. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Um, and I tried acrylics, but 
the acrylics would dry much too fast for me and uh, yeah. I just didn't, I, I wasn't able to, I will not say that they are not translucent or transparent yeah. or uh, as gorgeous as oil. Uh, I, all I say is that I could not make it do yeah. what I wanted it to do. Yeah. I So I never had acrylic. I never had fun with acrylics. Um, so do you have like a studio practice now? I mean, are you, do you, do you go, do you do art like, several hours a day do you have some kind of ritual or commitment to uh yeah. being in the um, studio okay uh, we sold our house uh, five years ago which was a huge house uh and i had the lower portion which was in the lower portion it was uh, about 1500 square feet it was my oh, wow. studio wow and uh, i had everything i was electronically connected with everything i had the cameras yeah. at every place where i sketched whether i sculpted whether i painted and oh, wow. uh, whether i did watercolor all my tables were italian yeah. and hydraulic and it was gorgeous oh wow um and then we moved into a 1600 foot condo oh <laughs> so all of a sudden i have a bedroom a large bedroom sized studio yeah and uh, with my contractor, I designed it in such a way uh, that I would keep only that which I needed to continue my practice. Mm. And it's beautifully designed with uh, everything has a place. Mm -hmm. And it's perfect. And it's probably the studio I've enjoyed the most in the past 54 years. Oh, wow. What makes it it's so? so efficient. It's okay. so clean and efficient that I know exactly where everything is. Uh, gotcha. I do miss sometimes my books because I handed 700 books to uh, a college, an art college. Uh, it's and, quite the uh, library. The rest of my, <laughs> yeah, and the rest of the art equipment I sent off uh, from the big studio, I sent off to a, uh, an art high school. Ah. So uh, I ended up with just what I used. Yeah. So it's very efficient. Do you have a lot of very natural efficient. light? Yes, I have one wall that's just glass. Oh, wow. Wow. That's okay. I'm a little jealous right now. Big <laughs> 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 time. Uh, okay, let's see here. But what? it's only so, 200 square feet. Yeah, so you have to be efficient with your, with your space. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like that. <laughs> yeah, and um, I bought my uh, easels uh, from the States uh, from an artist who creates wall easels. Ah. And... Uh, they're absolutely fantastic because they don't take up any space whatsoever. Ah, because an easel takes up a good three, you know, a three by three or nine square feet. Yeah, uh, and then you walk around back and forth in front of an easel. Well, this easel yeah, doesn't true. take up nine square feet; it's right on the wall. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So, is it adjustable? I mean, can you put oh, an absolutely angle on adjustable? It? Oh, I have two nice. towers. There's you can buy one tower or two towers, and they just slide. Mm. And I, cool. I can use up to a six foot canvas. Mm. horizontally talk to me about the materials you use with colored pencil in particular like and, and how has that changed through the years um colored pencil has i think has pretty uh, pretty well been stable with me throughout my career okay. and that is through simplicity ah. uh, my wife visited mit a few years back uh, to talk about communications and she asked them one one question what do people really want and when you take a look at your um, uh, TV remote, you can tell that this is true. People want simplicity because yeah. technically we we have complexity right now all over the we place. We don't need five remotes, one for volume, one for channels, one for yeah. <laughs> turning it on and off. 
<laughs> so basically, I like simplicity. I like colored yeah. pencils. I don't play much with mediums. Um, I have so a, no a OMS drawer. or anything. Okay. I have a drawer of erasers that I've never used in forty years. Ah. Um. So I like to stick with a colored pencil and with some. Uh, the, my only extravagance is tinted paper. Okay. And I love paper with different tints because that plays with the mood idea. Um, mm -hmm. And I love mm -hmm. different textures. Sometimes I use the 300-pound watercolor paper yeah. uh, just to create the texture and usually a contrast between um, soft skin against a rough paper, and that creates a totally different mood. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I, I love uh, any, any papers that come from anywhere. I don't care if they're German or Dutch or French or English. I just love paper. The textures mm -hmm. are incredible and in what you can do with pencil. Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time experimenting with paper. So it's, that's about as complicated as I make it with my colored pencils. <laughs> what what colored pencil thing I have special is that I do not draw or paint sitting down. No, oh, you're always standing up. I must okay. stand up. Ah, yeah. Gotcha. Everything is at stand up height. Really? Why why? I don't know. I'm I draw like I paint, so I'm I'm stepping back all the time to take a look okay. and check my composition, yeah, check my I got gotcha. you. So I'm always moving, and a chair gets in the way. So I guess from the start, I just got rid of them. I always have a chair at all the tables that I have, but I never sit yeah. down. This is one of the rare occasions where I do sit down. Yeah, <laughs> sitting in a podcast. That's funny, and I'm standing up. That's what that's what I do when I record these. So, um, what colored pencils brands or anything like that in particular? Uh, do you have any preferences? Oh gosh, there? I, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. To yeah. me, uh, I base my usage of colored pencils not so not so much even for the um, the smoothness or or the mm -hmm. waxiness of things, though I do like Prismacolor for their waxy uh, uh -huh. feel. Um, I love them all from all over the world as long as they're light fast, and yeah. I base my purchases on uh, online or in the store on the uh, CPSA, the Colored Pencil Society of America's uh, catalog mm -hmm. of light fastness. Because okay. every time I get my new one, I my update one, I purposefully take out all my pencils and go through and fill out the catalog to make sure that I've got the right ones. The rest, I hand them over to the children's hospital. Ah, yeah. So uh, they're still useful for somebody. Oh, but um, cool. no, I just want the best that I can get. Yeah. And I like to be able to play with the different textures of the English uh, pencils and the uh, German pencils and mm -hmm. Caran d'Ache and... Mm -hmm. I like to, to test them all out to find out how do they feel? What kind right, of color right. do they put down? Right. And once I've got all that down, then I can go and um, create what I want to create. Nice. Okay. Okay. So I can't pin you down on a particular pencil. No. What about, what I'm not about a brand color? Person. That's fine. <laughs> I want to make sure we've covered everything. Oh, if we all don't, right, we can so do it again. <laughs> Oh my goodness! You might be sorry you said that. <laughs> I'd love to have you again. Um, no, I'm enjoying you on here. Again. I'm enjoying the the naturalness of this podcast. Oh, good. Just a reminder that today's show is brought to you by UART Premium Sanded Paper. 
It's the only sanded paper on the market today to offer seven different grades to choose from, designed to provide pastel, color pencil, and charcoal artists with a consistent surface that accepts wet media without compromising or damaging its tooth. The surface can be reworked, thanks in part due to its unique sanded surface, which doesn't require fixatives, although you can use a fixative if you choose to. We thank UART Premium Sanded Paper for their support of the Color Pencil Podcast. It's very difficult right now because we have all kinds of venues to distribute artwork. And we also have the increasing loss of galleries. Ah, as yeah, they yeah, we do. Go bankrupt. And right. they just, the physical spaces are not that numerous anymore. And the quality of them is also going down. Um, so it's very difficult to sell your work through a gallery now. Mm-hmm. Uh, galleries are becoming very, very, very fussy because uh, they have expensive retail space and they have to foot the bill for that. And therefore, what they need right. is someone who sells, period. Yeah. And uh, whether that's good, bad, or indifferent isn't the point anymore. Um, um, yeah. It goes back to sales. that thing being run by accountants again, like you were talking about. <laughs> well, it's very <laughs> difficult because not even it's not just the accountants who yeah. we have to depend on. We have to depend on making enough money to make our lives yeah. decent and yeah. that includes gallery owners and some of them are extremely good people and thank god that they foot the bill over yeah. and above the fact that they're making a profit if they can but mm-hmm. they're having a hard time galleries are very are suffering badly so they're it's already pre covid galleries were suffering mm. and they've been suffering yeah, for yeah. a while the art fairs have started worldwide but then you have to be able to foot the bill to be part of that art fair it's a pay as you go yeah, or that's a pay to tough, play isn't it type yeah, of a distribution so, network. That's very right. hard. So yeah. I recommend personally, okay. and it's not because I did it. Uh, it's because I got kicked out of most galleries or I was not wanted <laughs> in most galleries when I started out because everybody was doing supposedly what I was doing. So when I got told that often enough, I just turned around and said, fine, um, I'm going to do it on my own. And okay. that was where dad came in, where he said, you know, make sure you can eat, make sure you've got a job, make sure you can run the business yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, pay your bills I feel bills like your dad time. probably could have done anything. He, he seemed like he was a business-minded guy. Oh, he was, uh, he was yeah. way more mathematician than I ever was. But, um, no, I think it, I started out mainly uh, exhibiting, well, the first place that I, I sold when I was 14, was in a furniture store, a one-man furniture store Mm. uh, called Famous Furniture in Windsor. And the guy said, here, uh, he ripped out the reproductions in his frames and told me, fill these with originals. And he would sell them with sofas. And he made money, I made money. I was able to pay my school bills, and uh, that was fine. So that was a business arrangement, but I learned business that way. Yeah. But my, the, my, the first places that I started exhibiting were in church basements. Mm. And that was a business decision because, mm-hmm. and I, I wasn't into my artwork creation full time then, uh-huh. but I wanted to go out there and make people realize that I existed. Yeah. And to do that, you have to have an audience. And well, in a church, you have an audience. Mm-hmm. Because right after church, uh, I footed the bill for coffee in the basement. Ah. Uh-huh. And if you had your, the kids, then I made sure that there were uh, Timbits and stuff like that so that the kids would be happy while their parents looked at artwork that they never expected to go and look at because they were yeah. going to church to pray. 
But after but church, there they were. <laughs> the minister, the priest, or the yeah. rabbi would say, "Hey, we've got a, something for you downstairs." It, it creates a community atmosphere. Everybody mm. talks to each other. Everybody is nice to each other, and there's an art show downstairs. Yeah. Now I didn't necessarily sell a lot, but I my name got out there. Right. My business cards were ready. Uh, if uh. I created portraits, people would say, "Oh, I might like that." you would build an audience yeah, and that yeah. is more important is to build an audience and link that audience with your name is and, there current uh, venues that you think would be fit uh you know a fitting spot for that kind of thing to link our artwork with our name today what do you think well, everybody uh, what you have to do is do all the work yourself yeah uh, would help a lot in the sense that if I didn't go to a gallery, I didn't have to pay 30 to 50% to the gallery. So I took right. that 30 and 50% and spent it on the what I needed. Cards and coffee and whatever cards, else. Po yeah. Posters. I would deliver, yeah. hand deliver all my posters to the best stores on all the streets in the city. So you just, and I mean, I, you're just hitting the pavement and going out there and doing, absolutely. doing the work absolutely. and getting you have to do those. That. Okay. And then you have to have business cards. People might think yeah. that that's passe. It's 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 old hat. Are you kidding? People go home with that card. Well, they there, can forget people, that you're online easy enough. Yeah, exactly. You're a C. Uh, I mean, yeah. you're a drop in the C if you're online. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you should have also a letterhead so that when you write to people, there's nothing that people like more in this era than a mm -hmm. handwritten note. That's the truth. That is the truth. And if you handwrite somebody, that means you took the time to have yeah. to write them a note, and you cared enough to write them a note. Right. When someone buys a portrait for me, I should be able to write a note and say thank you very much for being my client. But I really enjoyed working with your child or your husband or your wife or mm. whatever. You make them feel good. A client needs to know that they are being provided with empathy, yeah, kindness, generosity. It's slightly because more personal than a text, right? It's very personal. <laughs> it's very personal. It's, yeah. it's um, even on my website, I don't have a cart. People do not go to a cart. I took it out. Hmm. They don't go to a cart to buy a piece. Or a, they're, yes, they're buying a thing, but they're buying yeah. more. And yeah. you know what? Just contact me. You like mm. that painting? You want to buy it? What's the number on it? And now let's talk. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a very very personal thing, artwork, yeah, right, right, presentation and distribution. And today we have to be creative in that. Um, I used to uh, go to um, stores that were empty on the street, where that had a sign in for say for uh, for lease. Yeah, and we'd take the lease sign down, and I would put up an art show in that store, oh, and wow. decorate the whole place up. And the owner of the building who wanted to lease or rent it or sell it. Had a lot of people coming in and not only seeing the artwork, but seeing the, the space inside. So they would agree to let me be there because that would attract attention to their space that they wanted to that lose That is such a novel idea. So, so that, that's of, a way. Like you have to be creative. And yeah. We can't just paint today. We can't just draw. Yeah. We have to put it out there. And if, and if there's no venue there for you, and online yeah. venues are wonderful and great and grand, but every right. Tom, Dick, and Harriet can be online, and that doesn't mean it's and a they are. quality. <laughs> right. They are. And yeah. uh, what, what you have online is that there's no guarantee that all the hype on how much you can make mm -hmm. actually happens. Right. I don't right. know of anyone yet who is making a fortune 
selling online. But yeah, some do, some don't. Well, I, yeah, and I, I do know some artists that are actually doing quite well, and they're not on social media, and they're not online. Um, yeah. And it's like, you know, we, we get, I think we get duped into that uh, and thinking that, oh, you know, I, I have to be online, have to be selling online, I have to have that cart on my website. But uh, no, I, I just took it off so. and, and put in a, a, my contact page, gets yeah. you to me and me to you. Mm -hmm. And that's how I run it on my website. Because the only really place that I go to is my website, Facebook and LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Because with COVID, I started putting up a drawing or a painting a day because I have 3,000 of them in the past 54 years. So I've got enough. Every day I have a mini exhibition, which is a drawing or a painting and a story, if necessary, behind it that goes with that. You put that on your website or on LinkedIn or both? Or I put it on LinkedIn on five sites on LinkedIn, five pages. Really? Okay. Uh, like my page on LinkedIn plus um, collector's page, uh, art and nice. marketing and things like that. And on the okay. Facebook, there are different um, uh, pages uh, mm -hmm. that I put it up in French and English. Okay. And uh, so every day I have one art artwork that goes up. Okay. And that, why is that? Nice. Well, I, as I told my wife, you know, when the older you get, the less people pay attention to you. And if your name is not out there uh, during COVID time, yeah, you're going to disappear. And after COVID, you will have to work hard to rebuild your name. So my uh, mini exhibition puts my name out there every yeah. day. And I have a following that's crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, and you've got the work, like you mentioned. Uh, to be so, able to and yeah, with there. all the work, I can do this for 30 years, but I don't want right. to have 30 years of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, hey, I, <laughs> I've got to let you go. I know, I know you've got an appointment coming up and, uh, oh my goodness, I could keep talking to you forever. Um, I feel like we just started. I know that's not the case. Uh, but well, we can do session there, two another time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's exactly what we should do. Is there any, parting words of advice that you would like to uh, to give anyone who is just brand new, just brand new, starting out in the medium of colored pencil today? Oh, gee, pick them up and play with them. Play with them. Don't try and finish everything that you try to do. It, I think go out and do some plein air work, which means mm -hmm. that when you work outside, you can't, you've got very little time because the light changes, which means... Yeah. Play with it until the light passes, and that's when you're done. Not when the oh. artwork is done. That's when you're done when the light goes away. Because you know what? You can go someplace else, turn around the corner, uh, turn around backwards and go, go back the way you came, and you'll probably see an, another place that you can do something for another five minutes or ten minutes. Play with it. Let the pencil take you somewhere. Nice. You know, I'm not going to comment on that. I don't want to mess it up. That is, I love that. It's beautiful. It really is. Well, so uh, I'm going to wrap up here. I just want you guys to know um, if, you know, if you're brand new to, um, who, the, to my guest, to Bernard Poulin, I mean, you're, you've been missing out. Uh, I hope that you go over and check out his website. I first heard him talk. That was my first introduction uh, to this man. Um, back in 2016, I think it was right, Bernard, at the, so, yeah. you were speaking at, um, the CPSA international, uh, exhibition and convention. 
And uh, you said some things up there that were just so profound uh, that that I had never even thought about before. Um, I don't know why, but it was just like, wow, that I started taking notes, actually, on a napkin. And uh, and I thought a lot about it. And I was nervous to reach out to to you. And I thought, I would love to have him on the podcast, but I'm afraid he's going to say no. And if he says no, I'm going to be crushed. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so it took me a long time to work up the nerve to even ask you, but I'm glad I did. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it so much. Well, John, I have truly enjoyed this and uh, don't ever be shy. Great. Great. All right. Anything I will. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Go over to the show notes if you uh, forget where that is. That's at sharpenedartist.com slash podcast. And if you click on the show notes banner, uh, it will pop up with the show number that this is. And it'll be 300 and something. I'm not sure. But that will be the constant link to this particular show. I get that question quite often, so I thought I would... Just address that right now. So if you send someone over or if you just save sharpenedartist.com slash podcast, then you're going to get the most recent show in the list. But Bernard's will be under a particular show number. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can go over to Apple Podcast and do that there. It's one of the best places to do it or any podcast player. I would appreciate a rating and or a review. If you have the time to do that, it means a lot to me. So same place, same time next Monday, guys. We'll have a new show. Can't wait to talk to you then. Until then, take care and stay sharp. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com.